today on The Breakdown. It's just one of those hands where you got the biggest players in the world doing crazy ass things, and we don't know what's going on. It's, it's really hard to fathom, but we have some of the best players in the world playing right now, not like the Johnny Chance, not the old school guys, the big time guys, the top five guys, Jason Kuhn and Alex Foxen. And this hand is just baffling. And I am really excited to talk about it. And not only will it be me and Grant, but this time we brought in a little bit of help. We've brought in triple bracelet winner, Matt Matros to break this hand down with us. We're excited to do it right now on the breakdown with Grant Dennison, Matt Matros and Jonathan Levy. Wow, Matt gets full billing. I know what the hell, right? I mean, I didn't fucking agree to that. (laughs) I can't believe I did that. Um, So, yeah, we'll talk to Matt in a second, but hold your horses. Let's talk about this for a second. This hand is insane. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I'm just going to say my brain broke at least three times when I saw it. Yeah, it's it's not entirely prepared. It's it's tough to understand exactly what happened, but it's nice that we have Matt here. Actually, let's let's introduce Matt. You you did briefly. You said he has three bracelets. That's a pretty good resume. He's also knows Jason Kuhn, (laughs) so that that's helpful, right, Matt? Big fan of Jason Kuhn. I've done an audio commentary with Jason Kuhn briefly before, and I was crazy impressed. And of course, I'm familiar with his play. I haven't actually played against him. He's a bit out of my league, I think. I mean, he isn't slumming in the low buy-in tournament so much, but yeah, Jason Kuhn's amazing. Mm. And maybe we should just give a quick, uh, for folks who don't know, just tell a little more about who Matt is. So Matt's been uh, a professional poker player for forever, basically. Like, I would say <laughs> tw- um, probably working on 20 years at this point, maybe even more. Um, he has he wrote a book many years ago called The Making of a Poker Player. That was a big deal. Came out right around the same time he finished third in the uh, World Poker Tour Championship for some ungodly amount of money, like $860,000 or something like that. And then he went on to become, I believe the first person ever to win three bracelets, a bracelet a year at three consecutive years. Um, that has since been uh, done and maybe even eclipsed. Yeah, but, there's um, four. There's four now. But still, I believe he's the first one ever to do it. Uh, he's a big deal. He's also a, a writer for Card Player Magazine. We're really happy to have him on the show. Well, here's a problem, though, that Uh-oh. Matt has on his resume. He's been friends with Jonathan Levy <laughs> for quite a while. That's true. And, so I don't understand, like with all that stuff going on, I don't know, like just felt like feeling good about yourself, Matt, or is that what you're just, you know, you win some, you lose some grant. I mean, you can't have it all, but most of what <laughs> Levy said just now was close enough to accurate. So that's, that's impressive. Cool. Yeah. He, I was basically making it up. He usually so, doesn't yeah. remember stuff. I mean, before the show started, we were like, we're not going to introduce Matt till after the intro. And in, like sentence three is like, and we have Matt Metros here. <laughs> so. I mean, I remembered. I just, I just, you know, i never know where I'm going. It's part of the fun. Okay, whatever. Well, I'm excited to hear Matt's thoughts on this yeah. hand, especially having done commentary with Jason Kuhn before. Maybe we can get some insight because Jason Kuhn does some whack shit in this hand. He's uh, also buff as hell, that dude. Yeah, that's related. Uh, so, so this hand, by the way, was suggested by Holden Cantrell, who's Uh-oh. really angling for that Mount Rushmore I stuff. Know. He really wants to know where he sits in the firmament. I have to know exactly where I stand in the rankings of suggestors. So I don't know if you know this, Matt. So we have um, Twitter suggest people who suggest the hands to us on Twitter. And we now have a Hall of Fame, uh, sort of a casual Hall of Fame for suggestors and even the Mount Rushmore. And Holden is right on the edge of Mount Rushmore for sure. And he's really pushing to get on. But is is being a little vocal about it. I don't know if that that's maybe hurting his candidacy a little bit. He's being vulnerable, which is endearing. Interesting. You know, interesting point. So anyway, Holden does it right. Of course, if he's on the edge of the Hall of Fame, he knows what he's doing. He's using a YouTube link when he suggests we are the poker guys on Twitter. He's timestamping it. He's not an idiot. 
Don't be unlike Holden. That was a good sentence, right? I'd, it's better than normal. That's good. <laughs> if I were to write a book, I would use that sentence for sure. You have written a book. Uh, well, it's not complete. All right. Anyway, we'll talk about <laughs> books later. So let's get to the hand here. Okay. All right. So we are in the HKD 1 million buy-in event. So that's like $140,000 or something like that. Um, 110, I believe. 110,000. Okay. It's some, yeah. some huge amount of money. Oh, that's 110,000 euros. That okay. I'm looking at, buddy. You're right. So, uh, all right. 18 out of 75 remain, which means that we're not quite at the money yet, but it's approaching. People can feel it. For sure. And we have 10K, 20K. And Jason Kuhn on the button. Jason Kuhn has 1 million in front of him, so 50 big blinds. He opens to 50K with 10 of clubs, 3 of clubs. So it seems like he just has most hands in his range, but it seems totally fine at this depth, right? Absolutely. Matt, you have any problem with this open? No, it's slightly loose, but I mean, when people are playing tighter, closer to the bubble, it's totally standard. Yeah. Uh, although his opponent in the big blind is Alex Foxen, who might not be cowed by the bubble mm. based on his enormous amounts of success in recent years being GPI number one still. I, don't uh, I believe close. he still is. GPI Unless Bryn Kenny's eclipsed. I mean, Bryn Kenny's eclipsed everything everywhere, but I don't know. All right. So the small blind folds and Alex Foxen is in the big blind and he looks angry, but that's not, that's not atypical. That's just what he looks like. He has two sevens, seven of diamonds, seven of clubs. And obviously you can go two ways here. What do you think is standard, Matt, at these stack depths, 50 blinds effective with two sevens in the big blind? I feel like most players don't want to get 50 blinds all in preflop with that hand. And if you three bet, you really can't fold a future action against a button opener. So I think a lot of pros would just call there to see the flop. But it's definitely reasonable, especially against an aggressive button. If you just decide, no, I'm happy to five bet shove with this hand against a four bet uh, or play a big pot. I have a very, you know, top 10 percentile easily hand against a button opener. And that that can be good enough, especially against elite opponents. Okay, that sounds reasonable. Yeah. I mean, um, that's obviously the high variance route, but typically yeah. I would call here. Yeah, but, most you know, people would, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the same point, though, of course, the problem with a hand like seven specifically is it's really hard to play out of position post flop because you're almost always going to have over cards. A guy like Jason Kuhn's usually not going to make it easy on you and well, you play can, face up. You or can just go like, like pure distribution post flop against yeah. a guy like Jason Kuhn. I mean, just based on how the board runs out. Yeah, I sure. Guess how he sizes it, too. But I don't know. How would you approach it post flop, Matt, generally, if you're going to call with sevens against a guy like Kuhn? Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, if you re-raise, it makes it a little easier to play out of position because you can just commit to more flops, I guess. If you just you pop an overcard or two, it doesn't matter as much. You just kind of go with it. But if you flat and you're playing out of position, yeah, you're probably going to be playing usually pretty passively, I would think, and just kind of induce as many bluffs as you can. And then if he's going to triple barrel, you kind of make a poker decision based on whether, you know, what you think his range is, what he would triple barrel with, where you are in your range. Um, it's one of those hands where... You want to have it in your range because you can kind of call at least once or twice, but you might not go all the way. And you have to have some hands like that, or otherwise you're going to be too predictable and your opponents will take advantage. So it's not the most, it's kind of an annoying hand to play because of that, but it's, it's a nice hand that can stand a little bit of action, if not in a full three barrels. It does suck though to like decide like, all right, I'm just going to call here and I'm going to call two streets and fold every time you triple barrel. It's definitely <laughs> annoying, but, you, but it also, it, you have to do it sometimes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of it, course. Is, it is annoying. Yeah. Sucks being balanced. Yeah. Right. That. <laughs> I'm not interested in that. All right. So he's just going to call Foxen is, which seems like the standard route. We all seem to agree with that. Sure. It's like low variance. Let's, you know, it's approaching the bubble. It's a huge buy-in, which shouldn't matter, but of course does a little bit anyway. The flop is king of diamonds, three of spades, four of clubs. So again, we have Kuhn with 10, three of clubs and Foxen with two sevens. 
So Coon flops pair in a back door and Foxen flops a pretty good flop for two sevens. Yeah. Like a never folding type flop. Foxen's going to check. Things are going to get weird. I'm going to be honest to the audience. It's going to be hard for me to understand exactly what the hell these guys are thinking. I'm hoping Matt has some thoughts. That's why we're all here, man. Yeah. We're here to help you. <laughs> all right. Foxen checks. Would you bet or check here as, as Coon here with a bottom pair, having flop bottom pair against Coon, Matt? I think either line is pretty reasonable. I mean, if you're betting, it's not necessarily for value because there aren't a ton of worse hands you're expecting to get action from. At the same time, there's almost no hand that you actually wouldn't mind seeing fold. I mean, if any, almost any hand has like six outs, not, not any hand, but tons of hands have at least six outs, if not more against you and might not know it. And so you just want to fold out a lot of his like queen nine kind of stuff at this point and just be happy to take it down. So that that's the argument for betting for checking. The argument is you have some showdown value. You can improve your hand. You have five outs to actually make a value hand uh, and you don't get check raised, blown off, possibly the best hand. Uh, so you really, I think either line is reasonable. I, I would guess if you plug this into a solver, it would do both things at some percentage of the time. Um, which is not really going out on a limb because usually what the solvers do with everything. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think either line is pretty reasonable. I would usually lean towards betting here just to clean up my equity, but I think either play is fine. Yeah. Um, I feel like typically my answer has been checking in the past recently. I've been coming around more towards betting. I think Jonathan's answer has always been betting pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think I would probably bet this seems like a dry enough board that we can bet relatively small. We're not going to really hurt ourselves if we decide to fold to some future aggression. Would you agree with a small bet on this board if you're betting that? Yeah, I mean, it's not really a spot where you can claim a huge range advantage, which would be this time to like overbet or bet huge. Like if you could say, oh, the the big blind can never have top two here and I can. That's just not the case in a on a when you have a button mm-hmm. range versus a big blind defending range, both ranges are so wide. It's if the button is over betting here with hands like this, he's just going to get trapped too often in the long run. So yeah, I would like a more normal slash small ish size bet. If I were betting, you know, a little half pot or a little less, something like that. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Jonathan? Yeah. Um, I would probably go even less than half pot personally. I think like, I think I could probably get away with like even a third of a pot. Maybe Alex Foxen is just going to be like super tough and decide not to fold the queen nines. If I bet a third of a pot, but I would, I assume he is. Just like, what's he going to do? Just hang on with like, pray for six outs and hope they're good. I, mean, I don't know. It's hard to tell if Alex Foxen is a fuck you player or if he just has a fuck you face while he's playing. Oh, he's at least, a, I mean, having played with him, he's at least a little bit of a fuck you player. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. He also, right. I mean, he gets a little testy. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> Did he get testy with you? Uh, just a little bit. Yeah. What happened? I want to hear the story. All right. All right. So here's the quick Alex Foxen story. I've, I've told this before on the podcast, but we've been doing this for five years. You're forgiven for not remembering everything. I don't, I don't care. All right. So, um, it was day two of the millionaire maker, uh, two years ago and we were in the money and he raised like plus two. I defended the big blind with queen 10 flop was 10 high all spades. I did not have a spade. I checked, he bet. I called turn was a brick. I checked, he bet. I called river was a brick. I checked, he put me all in and, uh, I spent some time trying to decide what the hell to do. I knew this was coming a lot of the time. Well, not a lot of time. I thought it was possible it was going to come, I should say, and sort of tried to talk to him. So I was saying things like, well, all your values ahead. So you should feel good about that. Like if you're, if you're value betting me, you definitely have me. Um, I eventually called and he had King high. I assume the King of spades. We never got to see it. Um, and, uh, and so whatever I said, I said, that was still a pretty good bet though, man. And he's like, no, it wasn't. He got super like intense about that. <laughs> he it was said, not a good bet. Yeah. 
Really? Yeah, I swear to God. Um, That's and weird. it was just, I was like, I thought it was pretty good. Like it took me minutes. It took me like a solid two minutes or two and a half minutes to call. Like, it seems like pretty good. I had top pair, like against the guy who like totally, I mean, this is before I, I knew he was like, I think he was number seven GPI at that point, but I didn't know anything about him. Besides, yeah. I assumed he was probably going to be capable of bluffing me there, which is one of the reasons why I called obviously. So the anger is real. Basically. It seemed like the <laughs> anger was real. At least that one spot. I got to say, every time I've made a tough call and then said afterwards that was a good bet, it's never gone over well. So I don't know if that's unique to Alex Foxen or not. I think people just, when you win the pot, I've learned over many decades, just don't say anything. Just take the (laughs) tea. Even if if you think it's your friend, like they're going to be mad if you say something. So just, you know, yeah. Just just the other day, we played a one-table tournament. Grant was actually in this tournament. And uh, I got it all in with 10 seven of spades against ace-queen. And I rivered the ace queen and made it straight. And I stood up and I said, how does it feel? You son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and the table was not thrilled with me, although they all laughed also. Cause we all know each other. So it was okay. Obviously but, that wasn't, a but random... it was, but it wasn't like a free tournament. You know, it was an actual thing. Though. Yeah. But it wasn't just random people that you No, just I would met. never, I would only do it to a friend, but it was yep. felt great. I finally yeah. got to say that. I mean, <laughs> you do have a punchable face. Anyway, let's move on. Okay. Okay. So Kuhn does bet. He agrees with Jonathan sizing. It seems he oh, bets 40 yeah. K into 130. Yeah. Uh, this is where things get fucking wacky. So again, it's King three, four King of diamonds, three of spades, four of clubs, Coon with the 10, three of clubs and Foxen with two sevens. Foxen's going to check raise. He's going to make it 124 K. So upon first inspection to me, this looks like pure equity denial, maybe trying to induce something weird to happen. I can't even begin to fathom the total thought process behind Alex Fox in here, but this seems like a super standard call. I guess step one is, is this just equity denial? I mean, it plays as equity denial, right? By the way, equity denial is the new like way of saying like, so maybe someone made a bad play. <laughs> like I we mean, used to say like balance was like, yeah. oh, you know, he's balancing his range. That's why he made that terrible play. With okay. That okay. But to but be, I, cl- to no, be clear, know, it's not I the know. same thing because on this board, there's a lot of things to deny equity. Of course to. there is, yeah. but still it's a weird thing to, to do a weird hand to do it with. Cause you're not folding out two eights. I guess two eights could decide to fold here. Um, two eights. Well, sure. That's why I'm not calling it like a value better or a bluff. Right. Right. Um, and if it's inducing, that's a whole other thing, yeah. obviously. But I mean, it's super weird equity denial if it's equity denial, where now you're you have like the majority of the equity when you're ahead, right? I know he has six outs sometimes against you, but sometimes he doesn't. And it's Jason Cooney might just you know bet a few times, and that's not so right, bad. But there's so many bad cards for you. Maybe maybe we're so. if you think back to pre flop, we're thinking about like okay, we're gonna have to use distribution if we're gonna play against Jason Kuhn and take a call 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 line. Yeah. Uh, when we get a board this good, maybe we can just avoid that whole situation and not think about it. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I I'm, I'm reaching. I wouldn't yeah. make this play. Matt, what do you think about it? This is where I give the disclaimer that these guys are above my pay grade. So I certainly don't know for sure what's going on. But what I would say is a, a line that a lot of people take these days is to kind of bet small, like a third pot or less on the flop. With the idea being if you can't get if your opponent can't raise that small of a bet, then you just cap their range to a certain extent and you can kind of bomb away later with, with some degree of impunity. So if you think that's what Jason's doing by sizing as as small as he is, maybe Alex is saying, all right, well, no, I'm not capping my range. I can still have all the best hands here. I'm going to check raise. It doesn't cost me that much. I mean, I'm still, still haven't put in a full pot size. How much did he make it? I'm sorry. Do we need 124 over yeah. 40? And it was right. So he, so he still hasn't even put in a full pot size bet yet. And he's getting a check raise in. Uh, it seems like it's a good way to keep his range uncapped. And possibly if he needs to bluff the hand later, that could come in handy. And it has the other function, like you guys saying, 
his hand has some of the same problems the 10-3 has, which is that there are a lot of hands that have six outs against it that don't know they have six outs and will definitely fold here, like ace-10. Ace, I mean, I shouldn't say definitely fold, but you would expect like ace-10, ace-jack. If he had chosen to bet with those hands, he probably just folds them here, and that's totally fine for, for two sevens rather than letting him see a, a turn card so cheap. So I think it's a kind of serving those two purposes. The downside of course, is that if Jason, I do not think he's inducing because if Jason decides to shove, he's a good enough player that he'll be balanced enough that you shouldn't be able to call with two sevens profitably against a, a three bet on this flop. So I don't think it's inducing something unless he thinks Jason is going to be wildly unbalanced, which I, I, I wouldn't expect, but you never know. Some of these guys do get a little bluff heavy sometimes, but Jason, in my experience is not like that. So I wouldn't think he's inducing. I think it's more, both kind of equity denial and also keeping his own range, giving himself options for later in the end. This is one of those spots which we run into, Grant and I do a lot uh, on this show, where when a really big name player who's extraordinary, clearly really, really good in doing things that maybe we don't understand, does a play that someone in our local poker club would have done and we'd have been like, wow, that was fucking terrible. Sure. Um, but what they do, we're like, okay, there's probably more than just like this seems bad to it, right? So. We obviously have to give someone like Alex Fox in the benefit of the doubt here and not think like, well, this is just a bad play. Like right. that's that, that I, I don't think that's a reasonable. Yeah, I hey, none of us are doing. I that, assume obviously. some level of a game theoretical element behind this instead of just like, I don't want to see a turn with two sevens. You know, there's something mm-hmm. else going on beyond that. At the same point, it, like just from a rudimentary perspective, it puts us in this weird gray area, gray area of like kind of overrepping a hand that has value on this board, which is strange. It puts us in a strange position. And if we get called, like it becomes really tough. I mean, also, if we wanted to deny equity, we could have three bet preflop when we were more likely to have the best hand, not less likely to have the best hand. You know what I, I mean? I think like, we're probably similarly likely to have the best hand at this point well, as preflop. I mean, all the overpairs and now all the kings are beating us too, right? I mean, there's a significant more yeah. piece of his range okay. that's beating us. It's similar. I mean, yeah, obviously but all the we, overcards preflop are like coin flips, and now we're much further ahead of them. Yeah. So it goes both oh, ways. Oh, okay, that's true. That's a fair point. Um, but the other side, but like, I know that there's like 40 K more in the pot than there would be, which is cool, but I don't know. It's, it seems really odd to me that he decides to do this anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, that's the best we're going to come up with as a, <laughs> as a trio here. Feels like equity denial. Yeah. But here's the thing that, uh, yeah, Matt, Get ready. Matt, you were wrong about something. Jason Kuhn is going to three bet. Okay. He's going to make it 250 K. He started the hand with 1 million once again as the effective stack. So maybe go write a different book, Matt, about some <laughs> other thing. And by the way, I wasn't saying he wasn't going to three out this particular hand. <laughs> I was saying if I was saying the range he three bets with, you shouldn't be able to call with two sevens. I'm counting that as Matt was wrong. Okay. okay yeah. Matt was wrong. <laughs> Poker guys one, Matt zero. All right. So, um, uh, all right. So a couple questions here. One, what does Kuhn think Foxen's range includes? To what is Kuhn repping? <sighs> okay, I'll go first. I don't know any of these answers really. <laughs> uh, my, my initial thought is it's some version of Kuhn thinks he's still ahead a fair amount of the time. He sees Foxen as having a bunch of gut shots here, probably like um, ace four, ace five. Uh, okay, maybe. Um, maybe five, six. Uh, maybe some open enders, but straight draws mostly um, that are at least the hands that are that are not you know value. Um, the value hands, he's probably, he's usually way behind. Um, he is fairly far behind, but least, he's usually way further behind. At least he this, blocks right? King three and three, three and three, four. Yeah. That you know? probably helps a little bit. Um, and maybe he thinks like, okay, this hand is a little too good to fold. 
maybe because he's see betting so many things here, especially for this amount. And he has a pair and he has a fair amount of equity against most of the things Alex is check raising. Um, but he doesn't want to face a really big uh, turn bet. And by being in position, he feels like this gets him to the river cheaper than it otherwise would. I don't know if that's true, though. Getting and you this, to the river cheaper with this hand is not really what you're trying to do. And also, you still would have to face a bet on the river a lot of the time anyway. So it's not a really good... I just don't have anything else. What do you guys think? Go ahead, Matt. I, I don't know. This is tough. <laughs> well, I mean, we could be getting into exploitive territory here because... We just got finished a long analysis of why check raising two sevens we think is kind of crazy on the flop. And Jason probably thinks similarly. In fact, he probably thinks the value check raising range in the flop is pretty small. And if that's true, then he's probably over. He probably thinks he's over bluffing with his check raise range on the flop. And so he's deciding to kind of counter exploit that by now three betting with the hand that has some showdown value if he happens to get called. But um and also wants to knock out some of these semi-bluffing hands that, like, if if he decided to make the fu play with queen nine, now we're winning the pot anyway. Um, I don't, I don't. It's hard to imagine in optimal land that this play is it should be a high frequency one. Um, but if you think your opponent is not check raising for value enough on this board, um, it does make some sense now. Was Alex check raising for value with two sevens? I said probably not really. It's kind of for other thing, other reasons. He probably didn't want to get three bet, but I'm guessing something different is going to happen than a straight fold at this point. So, <laughs> guess. Let's, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, piggybacking off what you said there, if if Alex is over bluffing and doesn't have too much value on this flop, I guess this is kind of a perfect hand to have like a weird turn into a bluff hand because at least you block the value yet. You don't have a ton of showdown value compared to some other hands that you could three bet. So maybe that's a good reason to take just a random three and turn into a bluff on this, on this board. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's better than doing it with like a good draw that you have to call when someone shoves. Right. I mean, I mean, like maybe it's not, I don't know, but it seems like you'd rather don't, you don't want to be calling off a huge overbet shove after three betting with, you're not draws. Whereas this hand, I, you know, if you get shoved on, you're very, very happy to fold, of course. So, and it does have some value. It's not like you're doing it with seven deuce. You have, you know, bottom pair that if he does happen, if your opponent does happen to call, which is certainly a reasonable possibility. He only made it like 130 more after, after check raise 120, right? Well, yeah, it's 250 over 124. He's like, basically. Like yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it's actually kind of hard for, Jason to fold here unless he really believe because because of the sizing unless he really believes that he's just kind of his opponent has kind of a nutted range and there's not much hope for like he could unless he thinks it's pretty reasonable that he could hit a ten or a three and still not be any good but if if he thinks his opponent has any kind of bluffing capacity it, it seems reasonable to at least take a turn and see what it is although we're getting to the point now we're putting a lot of our chips into the middle and maybe even if it might be theoretically slightly plus EV to call because of the, the tournament situation and it might be borderline enough that folding does make some sense. So, um, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's an interesting little line there. <laughs> it's definitely an interesting line. Yeah. This is, this is not normal. No, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is abnormal for sure. So let me, let me get a, uh, Matt, your opinion on the, the second piece of what I asked earlier about, about what Kuhn is representing. Because we often get into this thing where Jonathan and I just go back and forth, like, okay, we, let's start with the bottom of the value range. So if Jason Kuhn is doing this for value, like hoping to get called or hoping to get shoved on, what do you think the very worst hand he's doing it with is? 
Um, sorry, say the question again. If Jason Kuhn is doing this for value, yes. so hoping to get called, hoping to get shoved on, one of those two. What do you think the very worst hand he has is? Oh, the worst this, value hand in the range? Yeah, yeah. King, um, king three four board. Right. So, I mean, I would think king queen could be reasonable if if he thinks Alex is aggressive enough. It's not that different from ace king because you don't expect Alex to have ace king and have flatted pre flop. So, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, if he's really playing aggressively for value, I could see him doing it with king queen. I can't see him doing it with a whole lot worse, but. Um, even that seems like a weaker hand than most players would play for value at this point. But Jason's good enough that if he's going to be have enough bluffing hands in his range, he might know that he has to back that up with enough value. And so he might go down that low. I'm guessing you guys think it's a little bit stronger than that. I would think so. Yeah. But, but it comes down to like, you're saying, obviously how wide is Kuhn's bluffing range? I was thinking it was like, um, a top two type situation. If he's going to play a 50 blind or a hundred blind pot, um, against, you know, like a f- four bet or five, call the five, bet. I guess he'd be four betting all in ultimately. Yeah. I mean, that's reasonable from a traditional perspective, but I, I like was actually thinking along the similar lines that Matt was before he started talking in that, like Matt was saying for Fox and for same story for Kuhn, it's tough to have value on this board. There's just not that much you can have for value. You got to have King three, King four, three, four, or a set. And that just doesn't add up to that many combos versus how many bluffs you're going to have if you're Jason Kuhn. Mm-hmm. So I think you do have to include a little bit more value, although it's uncomfortable and probably even puts you in the margins of, of maybe a losing play with the very bottom of your value. But maybe you have to do it anyway, just because you want to be able to bluff more frequently against a guy like Fox who's going to show up with stuff that you don't understand or is kind of random, like two sevens. It seems like King queen plays so well as like, uh, not get it in yet. And like, let him barrel off as like such a perfect, I mean, I think call with in position, especially, I think you could do that. But I think if you do that, you might have to do that with your entire range on this drive of board or maybe not your entire range, but like included a lot of your range in just calls on this board. Yeah. If my answer think- was sort of colored by knowing that Jason decided to put this 10, three into his three bet range. Mm-hmm. If you do Fair that, point. you kind of have to have more hands in your value range for it to make sense. If you want to just kind of call the check raise a lot, that's totally different. Um, but if you are planning to have a fair amount of bluffs or semi bluffs like this 10, three is, then you're going to have to do it for value with, a, with some of your good top pairs. Uh, I don't know how far down that would go, but it, it's going to, you're just not going to have enough King three and King four and sets to, for it to make sense. I think that's kind of the heart of this whole thing here that is kind of, is com- coming to light for me here is that this is not typically a board that you'll see a three bet on. It's right. Really, really not. So if Jason's going to be a guy who's going to three bet on this board, sometimes he's going to show up with some weird shit that we don't understand because we're <laughs> not used to seeing a three bet on a board like this. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So I think to Matt's point, then you probably do have to include King Queen in value. I mean, you have to pick your opponent very carefully. Well, though, yeah, right? but it's Alex Fox. OK, yeah. yeah. But I'm saying like you can't you can't do this against a lot of people. It's just going to be a massively losing play. No, so. The listeners should not do this right. in their games. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. But against against people who are going to be for betting all in here without really having it very, very much of the time or a fair amount of the time then fine. All right. Um, anyway, so I guess the next obvious question along this line is even though it's a great price, should just, this just be the end of the hand. Should Foxen be folding now mm. with two sevens feels like it's time to give up to me. You know, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I said earlier that he probably is priced in, but I think I wasn't, I was slightly confused about who had which hand and Foxen um, having two sevens is not very likely to improve. So it's kind of like he has to decide here and now whether he wants to commit to the hand, because if he calls, he kind of has to assume that the rest of the chips are likely to go in, if not guaranteed to go in later in the hand. And so it's it's reasonable 
to fold here for sure. Again, I, th- I think once we hit Jason's three bet, we kind of moved into exploitive territory. So I think um, if Alex thinks Jason is totally balanced, it's pretty reasonable that he's crushed too often here. And even if he's not, like that Jason can barrel through with a turn bet, and that'll probably mm-hmm. have to fold. And so it seems reasonable to fold. But if you do think Jason is now in turn over bluffing because Jay- he thought you were over bluffing, then you can say, no, 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 I wasn't over bluffing. I have this weird two sevens hand and I'm just going to you know, go with it, I guess. The levels upon levels. <laughs> I know. I mean, and then the, maybe, okay, let's say you're Alex Fox and you decide, all right, Kuhn has still got a fairly wide range here, which I don't know why you would decide but, that, but, but you, sure. you play enough with Jason Kuhn to know that. Yeah, let's say, you know sure. that. Okay. Um, how do we even want to proceed? Do we proceed as a call or do we just produce throw all our chips in and hope it all works out? I mean, it's quite, it's quite a few chips. I mean, there's like another 750 K behind. You do have fold equity with it, which is nice, but not against the value. Obviously. Also, you don't need that many chips to have fold equity at this point. If you're four betting the fricking flop, right? I mean, it's pretty powerful. And you block, you block five, six getting there. Maybe that's a reason to call. If, if, you think, if you think five, six is one of the most likely three bets from yeah. Jason that you're ahead of. That's, I mean, that's good. I don't know. It's a tough spot, but Alex decides it's a call because I guess fuck Jason Kuhn. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I don't know. What do you, what do you, Matt, what do you think about in terms of calling versus re-raising here? Even if you're assuming yeah. you're going to not fold callings, you get a great price, but the price you're getting is not for you having the best hand. It's for, will Jason Kuhn shut down on the turn? Mm-hmm. Because I don't think there's much chance that even the Alex Foxen in his FU mode is going to call off another 700,000 all in on the turn with two sevens here. So, um, I think what you're the price you're getting is what is the price that Jason Kuhn shuts down? Now who knows? Maybe he's gonna maybe he thinks he has some hero calls in his in his game and that it's not a complete like hope that Jason shuts down. Maybe he's gonna be like, no, I'm gonna reevaluate. If he bombs the turn, I'm gonna say, are these two sevens still good or whatever? Um, that wouldn't be a plan that I would take, I don't think, or most players would take. But maybe Alex Foxen has that has that as part of his plan, which does add a little bit of value, I guess, to the calling option, but mm. There's so much money in the pot at this point that it's kind of reasonable for him to shove in for 900K more trying to win the 400K-ish that's out there. Um, I mean, that's a pretty good rate of return at this point with this hand. So um, it's it's definitely not crazy to, to just say, if you think your hand is good here enough of the time, and this, now we're moving in, we've gone past analysis into like old school poker, like look in the guy's eyes and yeah. decide if I got him yep. beat. And then if I do, I shove in. And that's how everyone would have played in, you know, 2004. In fact, I played a hand kind of like this in 2004, where I check raised Joe Cassidy with two nines. That was an overpair. And he three bet me and I four bet shoved all in. And he says he folded like two jacks because that's how we played back then. Like we didn't think about how, whether to call or what we just like, we just kept raising until someone stopped. And <laughs> that's, and that's kind of how these guys are playing now. They've sort of reverted to the old school, hyper aggressive, less thinking, more bullying way of poker. Um, but so many, so many chips have gone in at this point that, 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 that style of play has married again. So I think, I mean, if you really think Jason Kuhn has too many bluffs in his range here, it's pretty reasonable to just shove and win the hand. Um, because there's not a ton of value in taking another car. Like you can't, your hand can't really improve. So you're not trying to induce another bluff. You're just kind of, hedging your bets at this point you're saying all right well if he's if he's bluffing he's going to shut down often enough that i'll win and if he's not bluffing i'm going to lose the minimum if that's what you think is going on then sure this is a reasonable line but if you think that you're he's trying to take advantage of you i think shoving is reasonable okay so that's what i think 
Yeah. I mean, I feel like if I were to continue, I would shove most likely. I hate all options. I mean, yeah, I think I'm just going to fold. Like, in all honesty, if I find myself catapulted into Alex Fox in the seat, having check raised this, and I get three bet even to this size, I'm just like, oh, that didn't work. I, I fold. Like, I guess I shot myself up with some heroin and didn't know it because what the hell was I doing? <laughs> yeah. But that's, you know, I'm not Alex Fox in fairness. And Alex Fox, once again, does it makes a decision that none of us would have made, I guess, yeah. and, and calls, which I guess he just believes that Jason has a lot of bluffs and that he's willing to call down on certain cards. That has to be it. I mean, I guess, I mean, he thinks probably, yeah, if Jason's going to bet the turn, Jason is truly polarized. You think he's already pretty damn polarized, but truly polarized if he bets again now. And I think Matt's right that, uh, he's got to be counting on Jason giving up at least some of the time. And guess what? That's not the last baffling decision in this hand, but a bigger, more baffling decision to me would be if you didn't use the link in the description to sign up for nitrogen sports poker room. Huh? If you're a listener huh. to the podcast, see for me, the biggest baffling decision is uh, seven across four down New York times crossword puzzle Saturday, May 9th, 1968. You all know what I'm talking about. Is that when the answer was nitrogen sports poker? It room? was, yeah. it was the answer. Okay. How did they know? I, it's crazy. I know they, they saw into the future and saw the greatest poker site to ever live. <laughs> anyway, if you use the link in the description, you get access to exclusive poker guys stuff, which we've talked about a lot before, but something special that's going on on nitrogen right now is NFL survivor pools. They are of course a sports book and a gambling website. So, you know, tell them about the survivor pools. <laughs> I don't feel like it, but I will. Okay, I will. Anyway. Tell them about it. I mean, you know, I'm taking my time. <laughs> it's a sports book and a gambling website and the survivor pools work like this. Uh, every week you pick one team and if they win, you continue. If they lose, you are out. And it's pretty sweet because at the end of the day, somebody's somebody's team doesn't, uh, you know, lose. <laughs> now you pick different teams each time. And of course you can only pick each team once. That's how a survivor pool works. Um, and it's winner take all. And nitrogen is super sweet because they've got a bunch of these pools, including a free roll pool. That's right. It's free to play. They put up, I found this out grant. So we've been giving wrong information everyone. So that's exciting. Uh, 0.2 Bitcoin is in the free roll pool. So you can just play for free. It costs you nothing at all. You can get on there and play for thousands of dollars worth of Bitcoin. Of course, they also have many, many ch very cheap options. I think like a tenth of a millibit is the cheapest buy-in. Or if you are a baller, there is a full Bitcoin buy-in. Yep. You want to survive amongst the elites? That's the one to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, check out Nitrogen. Use the link in the description or you can't even see our special monthly tournament, yeah. which is an amazing tournament. Which would be dumb for you to do. Don't be an I idiot. I miss it. I mean, don't be a dumb idiot. Sign up for nitrogen using the link. Okay. The end of the ad. Good ad. Quality yeah. ad. Yeah, We've done better. All right. So, okay. Here's what's going on in the hand. We yep. got 630 K in the pot. Now Kuhn is the effective stack with 796 K remaining. He three bet the flop with 10, three. The flop was king of diamonds, three of spades, four of clubs, 10, three of clubs for Kuhn. Foxen somehow check raised and called a three bet with two sevens in his hand. So these guys are weird. And uh, the turn is a really good one for Jason. It is the 10 of diamonds. Jason makes two pair. Yeah. So this is kind of gross. Yep. Uh, okay. As Alex, is there anything you could do but check? I know these guys have been doing <laughs> random weird shit. So like maybe we should expect him to bet 40 K or something, but <laughs> what? What do you think Checking. Alex should do? It, it wouldn't occur to me to do anything but check if I was yeah. somehow in this place. Me neither. Yeah, checking seems very natural. Yeah, that's what he does. And here's the thing that blows my fucking mind. Oh, no. Jason Kuhn checks back. <laughs> that, that actually makes a little bit of sense to me, I have to say. I get that at least a little bit. Okay, explain yourself. Okay, so we're blocking. Okay, now that we have tens up. We're blocking the hand that we most want Alex to have that can actually call a lot of bets here, which is three, four. Um, 
the hand that Alex can have that's really strong that could call a lot and get us get it in with us in terms of really powerful hands. Obviously, there's weaker hands that maybe yeah. this, but but thinking this way um, would be hands that we don't do well against, like kings up. We don't do as well against, and king four we don't block at all. So maybe Jason is thinking like I block kind of the hand I want him to have. I don't block the hand I don't want him to have in terms of if we're going to get the other 700k in here. Is Alex going to go with just a king um, anyway? I don't know. I, that's I mean, all I got. That's all I got. I don't know. I mean, like, I think Jason went from knowing where he was, which is, oh, I'm probably behind to not knowing where he is anymore. And so he's checking to like, figure it out. Yeah. What I mean, Foxen definitely has some sets in his range that he played this way. Although those are blocked by our three. Uh, yeah. Like, so he most never really has a set of Kings. Yeah. I guess, yeah, he, I guess little, he can have sets of Kings a little bit, but I not guess, too much. I guess he can have the one set of tens is left if he can have sevens, but we also mm-hmm. don't expect that. And that's a lot more of a three bet preflop also. It feels like we're mostly ahead unless Foxen yeah. played King 10 this way. Also, I, I don't know, which is obviously not standard. So it feels like this is one of the more vulnerable value hands we have with, with bottom and middle pair. I, I like a bet. I like a, not a, not a huge bet probably, but Jason decides to check. I, I guess he's just trying to induce Alex to do something crazy with some draw that he decided to continue with or a hand that he has a plan for, even though SPR is pretty bad for having a, some random plan with eight high if you're Alex. So I don't really know. What do you think, Matt, about the check back? Yeah. I mean, if we're going to get to the river sometimes here with the check back, which we, we mentioned that Jason would have to be shutting down some of the bluffs at this point. Well, if his check back range is all bluffs that he's shutting down, then that's a problem for playing the river because someone as savvy as Alex might've gotten this far calling with that price on the flop without actually having a made hand yet. And like you said, if he gets to the river with that weird draw and our entire checkback range is is bust, busted hands, then we're, our range is pretty vulnerable at that point. So by, by checking back a hand this strong, at least at least put something in our checkback range to go to the river with that we can stand some action with when Alex doesn't have a hand. Uh, the, the very natural play, of course, is like you guys are saying, is to bet, try to get value from a king if that's what Alex has played for value this way. Also, just kind of protect our hand if if Alex does have some kind of draw possible with or without an overcard um something like ace 5 for you know the gut shot straight draw with the overcard something like that um you know there there's there's lots of hands that have a fair number of outs that we still want to try to make sure we win this massive pot against so that's definitely the more normal line of thinking but if Jason was planning to shut down a lot in this turn then it does make at least some sense for him to shut down with some hands that he, that are not his best value hands, but that he knows he can call a river shove or other river bet with. So it's definitely an interesting line. Uh, I, I can kind of see it more from a balance standpoint than from a, it's a big pot in a, in a late in the tournament. Let's make sure we win it standpoint, which is how most people would, would face it. But, but Jason seems to be pretty committed to playing this hand in a, in the max what he views anyway as the max value way in terms of chips instead of, and, and for his whole strategy, instead of just like, make sure I win this pot. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the, what it boils down to me is he must just imagine that Alex has some sort of bluffing potential here. That, yes. That has to be it. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like Matt was saying too, like, yeah, if, if when checked, Alex is going to fire just a huge amount of the time when Jason checks back the turn, which would make sense because now it looks like Jason's shutting down. Yeah that there's some real value in, in a hand that if, if we were to be the better and Alex decides to call call effectively call it off. If we bet big on the turn, um, 
we're not like that range is much tougher for 10, three to beat than the range when Alex just bombs the river after we check back the turn. So yeah. that, that's all I got, but that's, that's at least reasonable. Yeah. It's so I like that mostly induction. And I guess there's a little bit of variance mitigation here. Cause Alex can definitely have 10, three beat. Yeah. So, I mean, you're usually not going to get stacked by taking this line with seven fifty six remaining. I guess Alex could decide I mean, to shove more than pot. He, he absolutely could. Yeah. He does. After, after Jason three bets the flop. And I mean, Alex is going to sort of like, I hope you hero because you're, you know, either you have a big hand or you don't. I mean, like after you three bet the flop mostly, right? Yeah, I guess. I guess. Anyway, we're heading to the river. Yeah. I don't think Jason's unless, a, unless a, if, if he was behind, let's say Alex had a set of fours here. Um, I don't think Jason's really avoiding getting stacked very often on the river. Like you think Alex is just moving in most of the time. I think he probably is. Um, maybe he's, I don't, I don't see the value in betting small. Like let's let Jason hero or, you know, the few times he actually has a good hand and checks it back. And then Alex gets to balance his bluffs that he's going to well, have here. Let's a lot. let Matt weigh in on this. Yeah. Matt, what do you think Alex or any good player insert good player would do with, with a set of fours on the river? If this line has occurred, they're sitting there with a set of fours is a pretty bricky card in the river. Let's say an eight. And uh, Kuhn's effective stack is 796 with 630 in the pot. Do you think there's a lot of shoves there or more normal size bets? It's tough because most people wouldn't think your opponent has that big a hand when they check back the turn. So you wouldn't necessarily expect the overbet shove to get called very often because what did what did Jason check back the turn with that he can call a bomb with on the river? On the other hand, if you're trying to be somewhat optimal and you're going to bluff that river a lot as bombs, then you kind of have to also do it with your sets and just say to yourself, all right, well maybe he occasionally checked back with a King and is just going to pay me off here. Like he chose to play a King this way by kind of putting in the small three bet on the flop to get to showdown. And now he's gotten to showdown and he's going to have to pay me off because he can't just induce the bluff and not call it. And so I think you can probably talk yourself into that, even though you don't expect, like we were saying, I mean, I was saying, Jason, if he's going to play this way, should have ace King and King queen in his range. But Jonathan was saying that most people don't have ace, king, king, queen in their range there. And so for that reason, most people are not going to expect Jason to have too many calls. But if you think Jason's capable of playing those hands for value in this way, you'll probably talk yourself into that because you're, you're not you yourself are not going to want to be in a spot where like, wow, I'm going all in with all my bluffs and no value bets. So. So, yeah, I think you'll probably um, you'll probably see a lot of good players with pretty big sizing here. I mean, you, you, it makes sense because you would think you would think that Jason's range is pretty well capped when he checks back the turn. Whereas my range in the big blind is not capped at this point. Yes. I know I didn't shove the flop, but I definitely could have been slow playing with a huge hand there. So I, I think the overbet does, does make some sense, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of good players go for smaller just because they don't think they're getting called very much. I would be concerned um, by not going for the really big sizing. If I was in Alex's shoes, just cause I would think like a bet of let's say 330,000, 350,000, is going to get called with not the same frequency, but with not that much higher frequency than a shove ultimately, right? If Kuhn can call 350, he can probably call the shove most of the time anyway. Yeah, you're not getting called very often, but when you get called, you're probably getting called whatever the size is. So you might as well size yeah. it up big. Yeah. No, that's fair. Anyway, that's unfortunately for Alex, not the spot that he's in. <laughs> no, it's he's not. He's got two sevens. Once again, just to, to redo the board here, it's a king three, four rainbow board. Uh, the turn was the 10 of diamonds, brought a second diamond. Shouldn't really matter that much, but it did. And it went check, check on the turn. Jason Kuhn made two pair with 10, three Fox and sitting there with two sevens. The river is another 10. So if Kuhn was worried before, he's pretty happy now. 10 of hearts. Hey, he's losing to king 10, man. <laughs> <laughs> he's losing to king 10 and king, king. You know, yeah. so that's, those are hugely likely obviously, but anyway, 
Foxen. I, I don't know what you're supposed to do with Fox in here. Like, was this a plan that was set up now I'm going to bluff or is this, I hope that I'm good and I'm going to go to showdown. I imagine at this point it's time to go to showdown, right? For the most part. I would think so. I would, th- I would be checking here for sure. What do you think, Matt? Uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to find too many better hands than sevens that Jason would have played this way that he's going to fold. I would think if it's a hand better than sevens, it's a pretty big hand that is not going to fold. And if it's a hand worse than sevens, there's really not much point in betting. So it does seem like a check. This, it could be a spot where you do the old school kind of blocker bet play mm-hmm. where you're like, well, I don't want to get bluffed out of the hand by checking again. And so um, I'm going to just bet small and make sure I win if he happened to have like nothing in his hand and he's going to decide to shove on me uh, now. Like now that I've checked twice, I've, I've now induced the bluff from all the hands that shut down in the turn and I want to avoid that situation. So I know most pros don't like to do those blocker bets very often anymore, but there there actually is some logic to them sometimes. I don't know if I would try it in this particular spot because we just don't have that much playability with our stacks. Like, I mean, there's if we make a, you know, like a third pot blocker bet of like 200 K or something, I guess he could shove for five, 700, 500 more. And for 700 or eight, almost 800. He has, right. Yeah. Almost yeah. Eight. yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that's I guess that's that's be a reasonable line. It doesn't for whatever reason I can't put my finger on it, but it feels like a, someone as good as Jason might see through that and bluff anyway. That's I think that's the main reason I don't love that line at this point. But it's at least something to consider. But I think I would do the usual thing and just check here and hope that Jason is shut down for good and that my sevens are good. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense in the world to me. Like just. Maybe we make a decision to call if Jason bets, if we do some sort of 2004 soul read or we decide that the line doesn't make enough sense and, and we have our reasons based on some history with Jason or something. But yeah, it feels like a check and like see what happened the spot. Mm-hmm. I think so. I mean, I would check with, I don't know if I actually, yeah, I don't know what I'd want to do, but I would check and see what happens. That makes a lot of sense. How's he going to size it? Is he going to even bet? Hopefully he's going to check and hopefully we win when he checks, you know? All right. So Alex does check. So next question, how do you want to size it as Jason? You've, uh, you've got 796 K. Wait, wait, wait. Do we want to bet? <laughs> great great question. I'm worried about King 10. You're right. <laughs> King 10 is scary, but no. All right. We have 796 K there's 630 in the pot. How do we want to size it so that we can get called by Alex by whatever he has that he checked twice after calling a three, but on the flop. I mean, I, so similar to what we were talking about Alex's sizing before, I think it's probably about the same where Alex doesn't look like he has a super strong hand here, admittedly, but if he doesn't have a super strong hand, he's probably not calling a normal size bet anyway, most of the time. So I don't know why we wouldn't want to go for a, a really big bet and yeah. just go for it all. I agree. It seems I, if I'm in me. Jason's seat, I'm putting Alex on King, Queen, King, Jack type hand. I feel like those are the most likely hands that Alex would take this line with. Mm-hmm. Um, Although it's strange to check raise those, but you know, it's strange to check raise the board in general. So yeah, I feel like I'm going to just go big because he's got a pretty binary decision with a King. Like I believe him or I don't. And I have a relatively good hand. I mean, the tens, the running tens coming also is just weird to suddenly shove on after or make a big bet on after it went check, check on the turn. I guess it could, you could talk yourself into if you're Alex. Well, I mean, he turned to 10, so then he went to showdown mode and then he river tripped 10. So now he's going to bet, you know, I guess, but that's sort of like what the bluff would be representing also. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Yeah. I mean, it's tricky. You say it's a binary decision with the King and, and maybe that's true, but there certainly are players who would call with the King 
for 250 and fold for 800. Uh, I don't know if Alex is, is that player, but um, there are a lot of less good players who would certainly <laughs> approach it that way. So often when I'm making these kind of sizing decisions, I, I'm facing player, people who are a little more exploitable than Alex is. But if, if, we, if we know we're facing an elite opponent, we have to think about our range and we don't have a very strong range at this point once we check back the turn. So we have a bunch of bluffs, certainly. And then we have whatever we decided to three bet the flop and then go to showdown with, which is not a range you can really, um, that makes a ton of sense. I guess we might've tried this small three bet just to slow down the action with like a weak top pair or something like we mentioned before. Um, but even that's not something if we're going to go for value with that, you wouldn't expect a big bet. I mean, it's hard to find the big hands in Jason's range here. I mean, did he really check back the turn with a, a flop two pair or a set? I mean, four three. He, I know they did check back with ten three. You really wouldn't expect him to check back with four three. It's just so vulnerable. Um, and if he had better than ten three, you certainly would think he'd go for value with kings up or better. Uh, so, what are his? What are he just doesn't have that much that he can credibly represent here. Now I know he actually has a full house somehow, but that doesn't look like what he has. So, I mean, if it doesn't look like he has a very strong range, I could see an argument for going smaller and just making it look like I'm trying to get a little bit of value out of a King. On the other hand, if, if, if my range is so disguised here, then it's going to look more like a bluff so that you could think of it that way too, where it's like, well, I never actually have anything here. So my bluff all in bed may well get called because it doesn't, it's not, but the story is not believable. So I might as well take advantage of the fact that I have played this hand in a weird way and just shove. So it's, it's kind of interesting to me. I don't see a slam dunk decision either way, but I guess when I'm that divided, it's almost always better to just go for the home run ball because you, the reward is better if that works out. So if I, if I think the plays are close, I'll probably try to just shove and see what happens. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And Jason basically goes for that. He bets seven fifty six out of seven ninety six. So, you know, effectively moving in mm-hmm. and uh Foxen doesn't make an immediate decision. I'll tell you that much. He uses, I don't know, maybe all of his time banks. I, I fast forwarded on YouTube a lot waiting for his decision. So I was somewhere around the two and a half minute mark that he made it. Um, he's just thinking about pure exploitative stuff, I imagine, because the distribution argument would obviously be fold here with two sevens, right? Uh, yeah, I would think so. I think it has to be, right? There's sure. I mean, as, as, as the, yeah, that's what we've been saying is that when he once he check raises the flop and doesn't fold, like he doesn't have part of his value range. He's like below the value range. So sure, he's yeah. he's too far down in his distribution to be considering calling. On the other hand, he really doesn't look like Jason has anything. So I could see right. why this is a tough spot. I mean, something that we've we've been talking about is how not that long ago, like three years ago, it seemed like every time there were massive overbets on the river, not this is a massive, but this is an overbet on the river. Um, even all the good players always had it. Yep. And now they kind of never have it, it seems like. Like they've really <laughs> adjusted to that where they're at least somewhat balanced. And I think like they they really have a lot of bluffs. Like Timothy Adams, it seems, has it 0% of the time every time he makes an insanely big bet. And right. I hope you don't play him and, and he has it one time after I said that. <laughs> but um, but it, like as we notice this anyway, like we just see lots of guys now going for these really big bluffs on the river. And so the stories are really bad usually too, but they can get away with it anyway a lot of the time. This is a classic case of the story is bad and he happens to have it and... You know, he's probably going to like it. It's like a spot where these players now have a lot of bluffs when they didn't used to. So I kind of like it for that reason, too. Yeah. Yeah. I guess as Fox and do I'd be sitting there thinking, like, is Jason Kuhn a guy who's going to show up with ace king here for value or even king queen or even king queen? 
I mean, because maybe because he cause counterfeited three with, four with this line that Fox has taken. He's either laying a big old trap or or King Queen is good, you know, or chopping sometimes. But you know, and Ace King is definitely good against. I mean, that so wouldn't be so bad if you get to free roll the other king queen put the other king yeah. if you're chopping anyway you know that'd be yeah sweet. i mean which uh, if coon's capable of of taking king queen and, and taking this line with it uh, that makes me want to fold two sevens a little bit more mm-hmm. too oh, I mean, absolutely you, yeah yeah so i don't know do you think king queen is reasonable for i mean i know the turn is weird and everything but do you think it's reasonable for coon dev king queen here for value Matt, I, I think I've seen some game theory style players who actually could have it there. The, the flop line does seem to make it questionable. But as we've been saying, like if he's going to have the hand he had, then he should have King Queen. So I like I wouldn't have expected him to have it. But now that I've seen how he's actually playing some other part of his range, I think it I think it actually does make sense. So if he's played with Jason Kuhn enough and knows that he's capable of having a kind of wider range in some ways or, or different kind of range than most players would have here. Then and and if he knows that Jason Kuhn has to know his story makes no sense and he's doing this anyway. So again, like we said, there's so many levels that, that's going on here. Like, well, the story makes no sense, therefore I should call. But wait a minute, Jason Kuhn knows his story makes no sense. He's still choosing to bluff. But is he thinking I'm going to just know that too? And so it's like, what does he think that I think that I think? And you start getting into exploitive land and driving yourself crazy. So you you probably end up landing at the beginning, which is okay. This is a game theory fold. Jason's a game theory player. There's no reason I should change my plan based on that. And, that, and that, I think that's the decision I would land on in Alex's spot. I mean, if, if you if you like landed me in Alex's spot somehow, um, I mean that should have been his plan once he called the flop, the three bet on the flop should have been to like, fold to feel, like see if Jason shuts down. If he doesn't, just give up. Um, but he got you know a pretty good run out and uh, an action on the, on, on the turn and river combined that does not really smell like value, but Jason's good enough that it should be value often enough to fold this. Even if you can't figure out exactly what it is, you should just know that Jason is not exposing himself to over bluffing in this spot, which would be like, I remember playing a hand um, in the now defunct Epic poker tour where someone shoved in a spot where it looked like he couldn't have had anything. And the guy next to me is like, oh, I, was just, I was wondering, is he bad enough to be bluffing here? Meaning like, if it looks like it has to be a bluff, a good player will never be bluffing. And so I think that's why Alex should ultimately fold. Yeah, this, yeah, this is something we actually talk. That exact concept is something we talk about a lot on this podcast. Um, so when this, and this is actually, I think the reason, when, the first time I ever heard that is when you and I were watching the first one drop back in the day, uh-huh. and uh, Brian Rast and Antonio Esfandiari were in hand, I think it was, and Rast opened Ace Five and Antonio Three Bet uh, Two Nines, and Rast called. And it was like the first time we ever saw someone like call with Ace Five, you know. But uh-huh. he was getting the right price and stuff, and um, and. Rast flopped an ace. Antonio bet. Rast called. It went check, check on the turn, and, and Antonio rivered a nine. Rast checked, and Antonio bet. And Rast was like, "I feel like you hit that nine. And I think you turned to me and said, "That story is so bad that Antonio has to have it." And it's like always stayed with me, and all like five years, six years later. Uh-huh. Well, at least listen to me once in a while, Levy. <laughs> That's the one time, and it was good. Yeah, okay, <laughs> good. Yeah, I mean, there's that, and then of course there's distribution, which I think sevens is low enough. For oh distribution. God. I mean, if he's it has got, to be. he could have ace deuce, ace five, five six that are lower, and maybe I guess he plays sixes, fives, and fours, like I mean, not I fours, six, and fives, but but then you have all the pairs, but you didn't that you didn't three bet pre flop. I don't know. And then some kings. It's it's kind of middling in the distribution. I mean, it shouldn't really be though, because you also have a lot of very strong hands, right? Yeah, like like he called, but the they, three you, bet. they you play. Then he actually you don't, plays even, exactly you don't even bet the river with though. 
Like you're a lot like of them- like three four. He's gonna yeah. He's not yeah. He's gonna like probably bluff some of these hands. This hand is like too good to bluff and not good enough to call. It's one of those terrible yeah. hands that you hate to play, but you have to play sometimes. As Matt was saying. Well, in the end, Alex agrees with us and does fold, saves himself from the situation. You're welcome, Alex. Yeah, we all agree. Yeah, he, we <laughs> saved him money there. Credit where credit's due. Alex got a ton of money in with the best hand and I know. not a cent in with the worst hand. That's I was thinking that. That's actually pretty impressive. That's a good point. That's, that's why that's why he's number one and Kuhn's like number 11. Yeah, Jason Kuhn no, nowhere near as good <laughs> based on this hand. Jason Kuhn's like the whole big Cantrell of poker players. Wow. Wow, that's harsh. <laughs> that's That's a compliment. Anyway, Jason, Coon. that's the hand, but let's talk yeah. a little bit about something else. Cause we mentioned that Matt had written a book years ago. Guess what? He wrote another one. He did. It's called the game plan. How casual players become threats in no limit hold'em tournaments. And we have the author here himself. That's right. It's Matt Matros. It just came out uh, when the world series came out, Matt. First of all, why don't you just tell us uh, how do casual players become threats in no limit hold'em tournaments? <laughs> well, I thought it was gonna be really easy to describe that. Actually. I was like, yeah, I'll write that section of a longer book in like 20 pages and I can just, I can just help these people play way better than they're playing now. Well, it turns out playing even simple poker is not that simple. And so I had to kind of create a bunch of rules to get casual players to where I want them to be, which is basically playing aggressive, not folding at the first sign of aggression from their opponents and just basically being reasonably tough without being expert hand readers and without a ton of experience. And so the way I brought, bring that about is, I wrote a series of rules to help casual, like basically to help casual players not hurt themselves and not require them to be expert in the nuances of poker. And I, I really believe that most people who are home game players who play a few tournaments every year and are just trying to to hit a tournament somewhere would do a lot better following this advice than what they often do, which usually includes um, a leak or two, and namely that they get too tight and too scared as the money gets bigger. Yeah. And uh, I actually, Matt stayed with us a little bit uh, during the world series of poker and he brought a copy and I, I read through it. Um, and you know, it's, this, this book isn't exactly aimed at me, but I still found value in it, you know, because it's cool to just look through the thought process of what Matt is doing here of creating these rules and putting them in a digestible way to say like, this is how you can like as a baseline become kind of a person who can Darwin moon it, you know, and can, can beat right. the better players. Right, Matt. That's the idea in general. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you're trying to put the better players in tough spots where they're going to have to show you a hand, at least a decent amount of the time, or they're going to have to barrel, 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 barrel a lot. And even good players don't want to just start bombing away, bluffing every street against what they view as amateurs who, if they've called once or twice, they often call a third time. And so we're taking advantage of that or with this strategy that I presented in the book, which is that you give credit to the people who are barreling and you get credit to early position raises, but you don't fold when you have something strong and you don't give as much credit when opponents have wider ranges themselves. And I just kind of plug in the scenarios that players can read. And I, I kind of break down boards into different types that are more digestible. The hardest part of crafting a strategy is that there are so many different kinds of boards in Hold'em that you have to really have a different set of standards for, you know, four straight boards or a four flush board or paired board or double paired board. And there's, there's actually, even without getting into the really uh, refined stratification of different boards, even trying to do a basic classification of boards turned out to be tough, but I think I ultimately came up with a plan that, that should be digestible for most people and not too much time. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things I think that is the hardest for people who are not successful or I guess we can just call them amateur poker players, um, 
is understanding hand value as, as an, an, a dynamic game. And I think that's one of the places that gets the amateurs in the most trouble. It's like, well, I had a flush and it's like, yeah, it's never good in that spot, bro. You know, but they don't understand that. And so like, that's one of the things I know you work really hard on is helping them understand their hand is good enough to call this raise or their hand isn't good enough to call this raise in this kind of a spot. And you lay out a bunch of different scenarios and a bunch of different rules to help people do that. Yeah. And, um, having, having read through it, I, digestible was a word you used, Matt. And I think that's really a good word to describe your book here because it's about 140 pages or so. And, uh, very readable and the rules are succinct and, and well, well put. And I think even if you're a listener and you mostly understood even this breakdown that we just did, which is like a, a very difficult thing that obviously the three of us even struggled to understand. If you could understand the concepts behind that, there's still value in this book because it just, it gives this, this base. If you have any leaks in your tournament game at all, this is like a good way to refine it back to, to basic standard. And then you can build on top of it. So I think, you know, Matt, your intention is for the audience to be mostly amateurs. I think players who are even a little bit accomplished can still benefit from this, maybe skipping a couple of the easier parts. Yeah, Grant, thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think there's a couple ways that experienced players can gain value of the book. One is, like you said, if if what I'm presenting as kind of the baseline strategy is like way off from what you're doing on a regular basis in any particular spot, you may be like, all right, wait a minute. I'm not going to follow the game plan exactly here, but maybe I'm not betting enough or maybe I'm betting too much in this kind of spot, or maybe I'm not calling enough on this type of board. And you can kind of see where you've, where your strategy has gone a little bit too far away from the baseline. That's one way. The second way is that I've included 14 of my own hands that I played in world series of poker main events. And I include them to show how, if you were following the game plan, what you would have done. But if you're an experienced player, you can kind of guess at my own thought process for playing these hands and think about what I actually did in the main event and kind of look at the hands from a professional standpoint or from an experienced player's standpoint, and maybe you'll come up with your own thoughts about why I did something or a different way you can play a hand that's, that's outside of the game plan. So I, I do think there is stuff in it for just about everybody, even though it is aimed at casual players and levy back to your point of saying that people don't know their value of their hands in certain situations. Yeah. I really try to emphasize as much as possible context in this book. And even though it's not really a book aimed at teaching poker theory, there's a couple of things that you just, if you're going to play any level of poker, you have to understand. And probably the primary one is how to value your hand across different contexts. So without explicitly kind of teaching people exactly how to do that, I kind of say, all right, well, here's this rule where if the action has been this, these are the good hands and these are the bad hands. And if the action has been this, here's your good hands. And this is the board. These are the good hands. And so just kind of like learning all those different rules will help hopefully put in, put it in the reader's mind so that eventually they can analyze any situation and say, okay, wait a minute. All that matters is how good is my hand compared to all the other hands I would play, or how good is my hand in this particular board against this particular opponent on this particular action. And synthesizing all of that is what takes time and experience for a poker player to master. But what I'm saying is you can start from a much higher place, a much stronger baseline than a lot of casual players are, are coming from right now. So this book came out pretty recently. So this is possibly a jumping the gun kind of question, but just in case, um, have you had any examples yet of someone who's read the book and you've heard about like any success they've had? Um, yeah, there was one guy who read the book and said he was going to play a version of it in the main event. He said, quote, unquote, a looser version of the game plan. And he had rocketed through day one with like a big stack and was doing really well on day two. And all the all the big pots he lost, he violated like 
a fairly core game plan <laughs> idea. So, um, so yeah, I was pretty pleased with that. And like you said, there's only been out for two months, so we haven't had a ton of people trying yet. But I had another person who said who who, who played a not the main event, but a World Series of Poker event. And he said he read the book, and every pot he lost was something he where he didn't follow the game plan. Now, the game plan doesn't, of course, guarantee anything, but Hopefully, if you, the idea is you'll make fewer mistakes and you'll make more reasonable decisions if you follow it. It's not going to teach you to become a poker genius, but hopefully it'll it'll knock out the biggest leaks from most amateurs or recreational players' games, and that that's really the idea. So you guys heard it. So Matt said it does guarantee success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll win the main event. Hossein Ensan ran, read it like right before. It's a pretty good he success. Might, he, he might have actually. That's <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. So Matt, um, where's the best place to find this if you want to get it? Uh, Amazon.com is where it is. Um, and yeah, it's pretty easy to find the game plan. If you just search for it, um, you'll see that and you'll see Amazon suggestions for many other poker books. And yeah, it's please let me know if you pick up a copy and you can, I also just started a column for card player magazine. I shouldn't say I started, I had a card player column. I wrote more than a hundred columns. I took a break from it for the last few years, but now I'm back and I'm writing articles and I'm actively soliciting people to send me their hands if they want to see how the game plan would have dealt with them. So if anyone picks up the book or even doesn't and wants to see how the game plan would work, feel free to send me an email, jacksup, J-A-C-K-S-U-P, at mattmatros, M-A-T-T-M-A-T-R-O-S.com, and maybe you'll be in a card player column. And uh, how about Twitter? You have a Twitter account where people yes, can Yes, thank you. To. Thank you very much. It's uh, Matt underscore Matros, so at M-A-T-T underscore M-A-T-R-O-S. Cool. Well, Matt, it's been fun breaking his hand down with you. We picked a tough one because we know you're a good player and, uh, you know, we did our best. We still, it was a really fun hand. I really, it's a cool hand. Hand. it's a cool hand for sure. Yeah. It's, um, even the, even the kind of more passive decisions in the hand were so interesting. So yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's it. We'll see you guys later. Yep. And all I need is one mic And I can show every single MC how it's done right Every time I come by, I'm bound to leave them so tired I'm sipping on liquor, a quitter is what I'm not We got one life And I took a minor break But I'm back to claim the throne And gonna be traveling the globe We still have time to make it home